This is the Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 250. You're not able to help someone on something. Coaching relationship ends up breaking down. Regardless of what else you do, if you get into a situation where someone has an, an issue that you are not qualified to help with, the coaching relationship is just not going to go where you want it to go. And it's not going to be satisfying for you because you're going to end up feeling like I'm not helping this person. Why aren't they getting it? You'll either blame them or you'll blame yourself. And I think it's really easy sometimes, especially if we have a very structured program we're bringing people through. Oh, they're lazy. They are unmotivated. They obviously didn't want to do the work. And that's almost never it. If they've hired you, They want to do the work, they don't know how. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I have a really important episode for you today, and I'm excited that you're here to experience this with us because in my 12 plus years of being a coach educator and an executive coach, one of the things that I often hear from coaches that actually concerns me is the concept of not stepping into difficult conversations with clients, stepping over or avoiding, because perhaps we tell ourselves that's not an area to go for coaching, that's therapy, so I'm not going to hear that, or, you know, that's, I don't know what to do, that's opening Pandora's box, so I'm just not going to go there. And what my guest Becca Ribbing and I talk about together today is that In being in highest service to our clients, we listen and we reflect and we question those things that are potentially creating barriers for our clients. And if we serve ourselves by avoiding or only going where we're comfortable, we're potentially doing a disservice to our clients. I'm Meg Rentschler. I'm the host of the Star Coach Show. And I'm absolutely passionate about what coaching can do for the world. And part of that is us stretching as coaches to be the best coaches we can be. And that's why I created the Star Coach Show. And that's why I work with hundreds of coaches every year to help them strengthen the skill set that they bring forward. My guest today is Becca Ribbing. Becca is the author of The Clarity Journal. She's been a coach for over a decade, and her mission is to help people break out of cycles of uncertainty and struggle that hold them back. She helps women going back and forth with the big, seemingly endless question of what to do next so they can stop going around in circles and finally figure out what they truly want and create the clarity and the momentum they crave. And she created this great clarity journal that is a tool that she uses with her clients that um, I would encourage you potentially to use for yourself as well as consider what kind of a resource that might be for your clients. Now, Becca and I decided to have this conversation 
about how to have difficult conversations with our clients because we see it as being so important. We're not asking any coach to step into a place that they're not trained to be able to be in and certainly not to overstep that boundary between coaching and therapy. But as you'll see from our conversation today, Not overstepping that boundary doesn't mean that we avoid topics that might be difficult to explore and talk about, and then what to do with those conversations that best serves your clients. I just really believe that this is an important conversation that we all need to be aware of. And and I would challenge you to think about how do you engage in potentially difficult conversations with your clients and how do you best serve them? So let's go to my conversation with Becca Ribbing. Becca Ribbing, welcome to the Star Coat Show. I'm so delighted to have you here. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. We had a good time in our pre-call just talking about so many things coaching. And what I love about putting my mind together with somebody who wants to be on the show, who's willing to just kind of explore lots of different topics and think about what's going to bring the most value, we have gotten into probably just through our conversation, the concept of having hard conversations with our clients and that sometimes that's the most honorable, respectful, and ethical thing to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that's great. I It's such an interesting progression from when you're a beginner coach to like a more seasoned coach, how your ability to handle the difficult conversations without having it be like, something about you, how it progresses and grows. And I've been looking forward to this conversation a lot. So how did you kind of go through, through that transition yourself in, cause you now that's something you do, you do almost like as part of your intake process, you're just going to be having those conversations. So how did you get to that point? You know, it's really funny. And I don't think we talked about this in our pre-call. Um, my during my coach's training 15 years ago, I was someone gave me a pro bono client. It wasn't someone I knew, which you know for ethical reasons is a good thing. And it took me three months to realize that the reason why he couldn't pull down a full-time job was because he was a heroin addict. <laughs> You know, and I was young and naive. I started coaching fairly early. So I was 25 and I had some experience with alcohol addiction, but I had no experience with harder drugs. And, you know, this is my first pro bono client. Right. And you're like, thanks. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that I really dived in at a very early stage about needing to be able to recognize what I can and cannot handle. Because the instant I found out about the heroin addiction, I was just like, look, I just don't have the experience for this. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that maybe we've, we've talked a lot of, you've talked a lot about like making sure that you are not overstepping boundaries. And I think addiction is one of those things where having experience does really help you understand where the other person is. If you Mm -hmm. haven't really dealt with 
like bad substantive addiction issues within your own life or within your family, it's really hard to pick up on warning signs. You know, we're going to be uh, talking about those warning signs today. Right. And I will also add to that as a therapist of plus 20 years before I even transitioned into coaching, dealing with addictive personalities and addiction, the disease of addiction is incredibly challenging, even for somebody who's very well trained in that who has the background in that. So Yes, we can coach anything, but that does not mean we step into coaching issues that are actually diagnosable and and probably need that additional support of deep training. Right. Yeah. But in my day-to-day coaching, I normally run into people that are they have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh, some form of ADHD. I find that so I do a lot of work with people who are trying to change careers, uh, who are trying to figure out what they want to do next. And in the process of my intake throughout the years, I really realized that a lot of people who come to me, the reason why they're coming to me is because they've kind of made a muddle of their career. Like they haven't been, they've thought that they were moving consciously from one thing to the next, but they've had a few more layoffs than you would expect from a normal person. They have had a really hard time finding the right fit. And usually when they get to me, they're so overwhelmed because they know all of these things that have not worked. And and a lot of times, especially the men, they'll be like, I don't want to work in an office anymore. Like, what can I do where I can be out in the world? Like just talking to people. Um, and it's been really interesting in this progression to figure out like what the warning signs are. We all have, we all have challenges. We all have struggles. I mean, we, we are coaches because it is helpful to have someone who can be a sounding board that's totally outside of the situation that you're in. And, but part of that being outside of the situation they're in is really mindfully listening to what it is, what the warning signs are that you're hearing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I I don't know, when I was going through coach training, we didn't do any work on picking up on warning signs of addiction or picking up on warning signs of ADHD. I don't know whether that's changed, but I'm guessing it really hasn't. And I think that as coaches, we really, especially depending on what we are coaching around, Mm-hmm. And if it is likely that we are going to have a population that is more neurodiverse, it really behooves us to do our own research to be able to really spot and identify because so many adults were never diagnosed. And I've had, I've had 60 year old men cry on the phone with me because I've got, I've worked with them for a couple sessions and been able to pick up that I think that they're ADHD. Mm-hmm. And this is where that difficult conversation comes in. Because as soon as I pick up on someone potentially being ADHD, I know for myself, can't coach them through that. I can coach them through job issues. I can coach them through finding a job. However, I can't fix it if they aren't medicated, if they aren't having the support in their own life to have the accountability that they need to be able to really move forward. 
like I often joke, I was like, if you're ADHD, when I, I usually try to ask the question, I'm going to be blunter on here than I'm ever with my clients. Right. <laughs> but I usually try to add, like add in a little humor and be like, so have you ever suspected, like, do you know that you're ADHD? Have you ever suspected your ADHD? Sometimes people will be like, oh no, absolutely not. And then two or three sessions in, I'm like, nah, I think you need to talk to a doctor about it before we move forward. Because I'm going to be wasting your money <laughs> if you don't know this information, if you don't know how your brain works and how your brain's wired, there's not enough coaching in the world to overcome those challenges. Right. That's so good. So tonight, today, we're going to kind of have that conversation. We're going to focus on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which is what ADHD right. is, because that's what Becca tends to work with. But I would encourage all of you to think about the same kind of thing can apply if you suspect a depressive issue or an anxiety issue. If you see warning signs, and to Becca's point, if you're seeing a particular kind of client that it seems to just be coming up again and again, do some research around what are the warning signs for somebody who has generalized anxiety disorder or who has more than just situational depression, but maybe some deep-seated depression that what are you going to be listening for? What are you going to be thinking about so that you can determine the warning signs to listen for. And Becca's going to share with us how she goes about listening for warning signs for attention deficit, because that's what she works with a lot. But wouldn't you say, Becca, the same kind of thing could work regardless? You know, when you said anxiety, that triggered, I was like, yeah, I, I work with a lot of people who are unemployed. I'd say about 10% of my clients at any point are unemployed. So I just assume that they have situational depression right, right off the bat. And I think one of the things to really be aware of is that, you know, if someone's depressed, if someone's anxious, the coaching relationship gets so much stronger if they're also working with a therapist. I've had plenty of unemployed people who are still on health insurance where I've been like, look, we will get more done if you have someone to offload all of this and process this with, and we can just focus on the thing that you want to do to move forward. And I think that there's real, like, even if it is situational depression, even right. if it is like situational anxiety, I mean, people are very anxious after they've been let go from a job. Of course. And, right. You know, your whole world has been kind of like, am I good enough? Am I like, should I apply for this job or am I setting myself up for failure again? Like all right. these things come up. And I think that, you know, I think we feel like we're charging a lot of money and we should be able to fix everything. And the thing is, if someone's willing to hire a coach, they are probably a little more willing to hire a therapist than your average person off the street. Well, and the thing that you said about really helping people understand, you will get more out of your coaching Right. If you have some of these situations going on, if you also have this support in the psychotherapy domain, so that I can stay in my lane and do an excellent job in my lane to forward you in the reasons why you're in this lane, and your therapist can work with you. So those two things coming together are going to create incredible momentum for you. Right. You've got to make it like worth the client's while. So Exactly. As Becca mentions in her interview, having these difficult conversations is one of those things that experience helps with and practice helps with. 
being able to artfully and skillfully engage with our clients in all the issues they bring forward is one of the many things we practice in mentor coaching. If you are in a place of needing your 10 hours of mentor coaching for recredential, or you would simply like to work with other coaches to build your muscles, to build your confidence and your competence as a coach. I'm currently enrolling for the last scheduled mentor program for 2021. The group is small. You get individual sessions as well. If you'd like to check out the program, go to starcoachshow.com slash mentor. That's starcoachshow.com slash mentor and consider working together to fine-tune your coaching muscles and continue to grow. That's starcoachshow.com slash mentor. Let me know if you'd like to work together. Now let's go back to my interview with Becca Ribbing. How do you ultimately begin your process by asking the kinds of questions or what do you do to kind of set the stage? I feel like at this point, I try to set the stage by doing it right up front in the beginning of an intake session, because then it depersonalizes it. I'm not going off information that I've learned. I'm going off almost always someone's response like, oh, and, and people, you know, people always laugh like, oh yeah, everyone has ADHD now. I probably do too. But just even having that brought into the session, it gives you so much space to then work with it throughout it. Like you can use that as a context of, okay, like, I don't want to say how functional are you, but you know, how much does it interfere or how much does it interfere? How much has it interfered in your job? How much of it is situational? I mean, if you're talking about depression or anxiety, how much is situational versus, oh, wait, you've been struggling this with in every job for five years. There's I think a another, pattern. Yeah. There's a pattern. Mm-hmm. The other thing for any coach to be aware of is PTSD. Like if someone tells you they have PTSD, that's an entirely different scenario for helping them process what's going on in their lives. Cause they get so triggered so easily by so many different things. And I've Mm -hmm. worked with a fair number of people who have PTSD, but they've always, if you've been diagnosed with PTSD, you're probably working with a therapist too. So you've got that diagnosis somewhere. And if you're being responsible with it, then you're, you know, because to back, you mentioned something earlier that I really want people to understand when there is actually a diagnosable disorder attention deficit is diagnosable. Uh, Depression is diagnosable. Anxiety is diagnosable. And the key thing there is that there's usually a body chemistry issue going on there. So with attention deficit, when my son was diagnosed with attention deficit, I said to my husband, we're not going to make him work so hard to overcome what's going on in his body without any extra help. So that's the same kind of thing. It's not like you're not a good enough coach to work with these people. No, it's like, are you servicing your client in the best way? Well, is it, are you a good enough coach to recognize where you can help and where you can't? And especially for ADHD. So I joke when someone tells me, oh, maybe I'm ADHD. I usually set the tone for if you truly are ADHD and you're not on meds and you're not getting any 
outside support, I will not be able to be enough accountability for you to get this done. There's just no way I'd have to be sitting there looking over your shoulders eight hours a day. And you'd hate me by the end of it because I'd be nagging you like that would be the only thing that would work. And it's totally true. The people that I have that have ADHD, they just don't get what they say they're going to get done. They don't get it done nearly as quickly as other people. And, and that's fine, except that I am helping coach you around a goal that you want to achieve. You need to like, it's my job to notice when it's not working, but it's also the client's job to recognize if that, you know, if they need more support too. And it's the client's job to recognize that if there is if I'm picking up on something that's really holding you back, if you're going to continue to ignore it, you're not going to get anywhere. And so I think at the beginning, I was like the warning signs that I am looking for. I actually have a really good example of this. I was working with a woman. I had worked with a woman through a group. I used to run a resume writing group in Seattle. And so I knew her, but she had never been my client. She had come to the free group to get some help. And she contacted me and was like, I'm really stuck. I want to hire you. And I was like, oh, great. Let's meet. Let's talk. And then I tried calling her phone and her voicemail box was full. And there were a couple other, she didn't respond to emails particularly quickly. And when she responded to emails, she left off information. And so by that first session, like it was really the intake session, I asked her at the beginning, and it was before I started asking right at the beginning, but for her, I'd already gotten triggered. Like, are you, or have you ever suspected that you're ADHD? And she totally broke down because she had been on like really, really severely underemployed for quite a number of years. And she was, she had tried one med, it didn't work. And she didn't try any other meds. This woman was a trained therapist. And I was just like, okay, let's take a step back. (laughs) Coaching the therapist, if you had a client who was struggling so much and they had tried one med, what would your advice be to them? You know, and it's a great framing of that. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's not the framing that I, I mean, I don't work with very many therapists. Right, right. Something that I get. Doctors are not usually the best patients either. Yeah. No. (laughs) And I, and it was very uh, talking about an uncomfortable situation. I'm telling someone who is more trained in this than I am that this is what's keeping them blocked, but it's important information. And, and I've had a number of situations where I, before I started asking the question, just right off the bat, I've had a number of situations where I found out that a 50 a 50 year old woman who she had done great in her career, but she was working in a place that did a huge round of layoffs. So all of a sudden She'd been at one really big company for, I think, 15 years. She got let go. And it took me a really long time to pick up on the fact that she was ADHD because, you know, situational depression, a lot of times when someone's unemployed, you know, they don't move fast on their right. job they're search. They're, they're, they're grieving. Yeah. And lots of similar but, kinds of display. And with 50 year old women, they've learned how to mask it really right. well. And so I finally, I asked her, I was like, you know, this is going to sound crazy, 
but have you ever thought you were ADHD? And she broke down in tears and she knew she was ADHD, but her thyroid medication meant she had to go off her ADHD meds and just on and on and on. And I was like, okay, you need to go back to the doctor. I don't know anything about drug interactions with thyroid right, medication, right. but you need to go back to the doctor and like really talk about whether there are other options because the doctor may have just like looked at her and been like, Oh, you, you know, you're employed. You're fine. Right. <laughs> We're just going to take off of this. And yeah. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. this is obviously not working. Right. Um, so I don't, I, I kind of, I feel like it really is important to be aware of. Yeah, sure. You can do what I do and just re- ask right off the bat. And especially if you're working as, with something career-wise, I think that's probably a little more comfortable. But if you're a relationship coach, that might be hard. Although I could just see in a relationship coaching space that it would be really important. Oh, to yeah. Know. Yeah. But I often, like, there's only one client in my entire career that I have refunded all of her money because I just was not helping her. And I felt like I was start, like we didn't work together for that long, Mm -hmm. but there was just something there. I couldn't figure it out. And, and I knew I I, like, if anything, not made it worse, but like definitely made her frustrated with me and hadn't made it better. And so I offered to refund her money and like part peacefully. And and she took me up on it really quickly. And it's really hard for me now because now in retrospect, I'm pretty sure she was autistic and mm-hmm. I didn't know enough. It was, you know, many, many years ago and, mm-hmm. you know, autism wasn't, you know, you see like spectrum disorders are far more in the limelight now than they used to be. Yeah. yeah you know, and, yeah. and then you see very in, in the media, you see very, Oh, how do I want to say this? Like, you'll see a sitcom. Um, I'm thinking Sheldon of Big Bang Theory. Right, right. Right. Like, it's obvious they're trying to portray him as having, being on the spectrum. Right. And, but that's just a comedy, right? Right, like, right. Most people do not show up like that just the same way most normal straight people don't show up <laughs> in their lives the way right. you would in a sitcom. Right. And so it's really, I mean, and I actually, honestly, ADHD, it's the same thing. You see like someone with ADHD in the, in a television show, like a kid with ADHD in a television show. And they're like, try, basically trying to kill themselves with all the like daredevil stunts. Right. Doing. Right. They take everything to the extreme <laughs> in TV. Right. Right. So- and, so that so you didn't know and and you you that's the only person but in general I, I can imagine I can hear some people saying well Becca what do you do when you like ask and then they burst into tears what do you do with that you just I mean that's where coach training comes in you really have to sit with it you have you it's gonna be however lot is left in that session that if they burst into tears, that is how long you're going to be sitting in it. And there's going to be a lot of denial and there's going to be a lot of justification, uh, potentially sometimes Mm -hmm. there's just total grief and you're right. Like you pinpointed it, but you have to also hold firm for yourself. Like if you think that there's a problem there that you are not able to get to the root of, you need to hold firm for yourself that it is not good for your own energy because you start 
reacting. Like if you get into a space where you're with someone who's undiagnosed anything, you're going to be reacting to them instead of being able to really coach them. Right. And that's, that's where someone who's trained in not reacting. And I mean, cause a lot of the training between coaching and therapy is very similar. So listening, mm-hmm. active listening. Okay. I'm hearing this, what I am doing it as on career stuff. Mm-hmm. What the therapist is doing it is on the actual issue. And sometimes the therapist doesn't even pick up on it. Like I had going back to the PTS, one of the PTSD clients I've had, she was in therapy and she was really struggling with something at work. Like her boss was totally triggering her. And finally I was like, you know, like two or three sessions in and I was just like, you know, I know you're working with therapist. I really think you need to talk to your therapist about this as well, because someone who has PTSD, your boss is triggering your safety. This is way deeper than me helping you come up with a solution to this work problem because you are being, your, your very survival is being triggered. And it was really helpful because I don't think she was talking about that with her therapist. So so you were able to point it out and not try to, to coach it yourself, but to point it to the appropriate which kind of leads us into that whole concept of how this isn't just, I mean, not and just as minimizing, this isn't only about doing best for our clients and doing best for ourselves, but it's, it's not, it's unethical to step into a space that is not a coaching space. But I think that sometimes when we're, especially when you're a beginning coach, it's like, if it's not my space, I can't talk about it. And feeling comfortable with talking about it without pulling it like too far into the professional level, like you can talk about it. You can talk about what you're seeing. And if you don't talk about it, that's not ethical because you are seeing something that is holding them back. Even if you don't understand it, even if you don't know whether it's generalized anxiety or if it, you know, yeah. Even if you can't put the label on it, you shouldn't put, you, you are totally unqualified. Yeah, you're not supposed to, to be label. labeling it. Yes. <laughs> but I love your concept. That doesn't mean we can't be curious and ask. To me, it's more unethical to hear it and step over it or avoid it or pretend like it's not there and just keep pushing forward in the direction that we think we need. So as a career coach, if you were to hear these things and then just completely ignore the fact that your client's not doing any of the things that he said he was going to do and just keep pushing forward rather than there's a pattern here, what's going on? Let's talk about it. Exactly. And I think that that, because that some of that just comes with maturity and not necessarily age maturity, but maturity in your coaching practice. Right. And some of that just comes from life experience as well. Like you, you are going to be more comfortable. You're going to be more comfortable pointing something out if you've had personal life experience Mm -hmm. with it. And Mm -hmm. so you're going to be more comfortable pointing out ADHD if, you know, a bunch of people with ADHD and you kind of have a better sense of what the non-stereotype signs are. But like now I am more comfortable saying that that woman that I really couldn't help probably was autistic uh, because I've, I've spent so much more time with autistic people since then that I can really see Mm -hmm. the non-stereotype, what it actually looks like in real life. 
And I think that that's it. It's like, if something's really, if you're not able to help someone on something, it, you, the coaching relationship ends up breaking down, regardless of what else you do. If you get into a situation where someone has an, an issue that, that you are not qualified to help with, the coaching relationship is just not going to go where you want it to go. And it's not going to be satisfying for you because you're going to end up feeling like I'm not helping this person. Why aren't they getting it? You'll either blame them or you'll blame yourself. And I think it's really easy sometimes, especially if we have a very structured program we're bringing people through. Oh, they're lazy. They're, you know, they are unmotivated. They obviously didn't want to do the work. And that's almost never it. If they've hired you, they want to do the work. They don't know how. <laughs> so how would you then have the conversation with them about that? Let's give some sort of specifics about the kinds of conversations you have. Now you've talked about just coming out and saying, you know, have you ever suspected that maybe you have some signs for attention deficit or that you have attention deficit? Or um, if, if you felt like if somebody said yes, or, or somebody you felt like maybe somebody should be evaluated, how are you going to take it from the question into a potential suggestion? You know, it's so funny because so many people talk about like, what is coaching exactly? And it's like, coaching is listening. You know, it is at its very heart, it's listening to what the person wants. And so I think a lot of the same skills that we've learned in active listening, like it, at a certain level, it's actually surprisingly not a conversation. And it's really easy. When I first started having these conversations, I did take over too much. So what's really important is to put forth the suggestion and let it sit, sit and be comfortable with the discomfort because that is exactly what we're talking about here, that being in difficult conversations as a coach means that you need to really do your own work to sit with it and to not jump too in too quickly. Like if someone says, oh, no, I'm not, let them pause and think about it um, or be like, oh, okay, great. I don't have to deal with this because this is not in my belly. Asked and answered. I don't have to, you know. <laughs> So it's not so much like how the conversation goes, like what you should say. I think that the biggest part of it is you are going to be uncomfortable in this situation because I am assuming most of the people listening aren't, weren't 20 year trained therapists before they got into coaching. Right. I think that the biggest takeaway really is you are going to be extremely uncomfortable and you have an ethical obligation to sit with that discomfort and not make this uncomfortable conversation about you. And, you know, and so it is sitting with it. And if someone says, no, definitely not just be like, okay, well, I have seen this and this. And, you know, maybe I have this client, like, I, like, you don't want to tie it into yourself, but tie it back. Okay. Well, let me tell you the story about someone else that's been there and really be able to not bash them over the head with it, but stand firm. Like you've told me you want to do this. Mm -hmm. I am seeing this struggle. If you have ADHD, I'm not going to be able to help you without outside help. So we can ignore it 
like, I mean, and this is kind of in my own head, like right. where my mental space is. It's like my mental space is we can ignore this and I am not going to be effective or we can address this and I am going to be effective. Mm-hmm. And I will let go of clients who I think have ADHD that do not want to even pursue it because I just know for me, I'm going to be pulled into their loop of trying to deny that there's a bigger problem. I mean, I think it's probably very true also of depression and and especially anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's like if someone's got, or if someone's really anxious, it's very hard not to get pulled in. Right to their anxieties and just listen to, I mean, say that someone with anxiety it just oftentimes, becomes problem talk a lot, a lot You're spinning becomes, around problem talk. Yeah. Right. Because, and honestly, ADHD yeah. people do the same thing. Cause it's like, there's so many problems. Like this boss sucked, that boss sucked, this person didn't understand what I, that person. And it's like, and you just get, you do, you get sucked in. So I love that concept of, so we listen, we listen, we reflect back patterns that we hear. We, we share Uh, in order for you to take your coaching to the next level or for this relationship to be as effective as it can be, this is the part that I can handle and and that I can partner with you around. And this is what's going to be left out. And we can't do what we're going to do if this side doesn't get taken care of as well. So, and, and that concept of just sitting with it, sometimes you reflect back to somebody, you give them food for thought and it's, it takes them maybe a week to digest that or, or some time to really come back and say, you know what, what we talked about, you're right. I don't, I don't want to look at it that way, but giving some space and some silence for, for them to process. If you're bringing something difficult forward, for heaven's sakes, give your client a chance to digest it. And that's a really good point too. Cause I mean, a lot of times I am on the fence about this. So I will, if someone says absolutely not, in my mind, I set a clock mm-hmm. and three weeks. And in three weeks, if I'm still seeing the same problems and I don't see any progress forward or that, aha, yeah, maybe you're right. And I'm going to go talk to my doctor. That's where I'll start bringing it back up. So, cause it, you do need to like, let it, you are not a doctor. You are not diagnosing right. this person. You are giving suggestions and sometimes you know, sometimes observations. That, yeah. Observations. yeah. They're, they've lived in their own stuff for so long that they've learned to cope with it to your point, maybe not well, but they, they have their coping mechanism. They also, it's normal for them. I mean, it might be right. miserable, but it's normal for them. So being able to have it held up and say, mm-hmm. I wonder about this and this is what right. I'm seeing. And then allowing them to begin to move it from their norm into, oh, is this really not normal? Right. Not normal, not in a bad way. But, you know, is am I struggling with some things that maybe I don't have to struggle with if I had the right kind of uh, intervention? Exactly. Oh, good. I okay. know. So what else about, because uh, our time's coming to a close, we've got, um, we talked about sort of that we are ethically obligated to being on top of this, that that con- the coaching skills that you have can be used. That's what they're there for. That's a- so what else when we think about having these hard conversations about things that we recognize that might be creating barriers for our clients reaching the results that they want from the coaching? Anything else that we want to go over? 
recognize that this is what they're paying you for. Like truly, literally, they are paying you to get over this issue. Uh, And so if they do decide, oh, I don't need a coach and I need a therapist, that's fine. Like probably they've already given you some money. They've gotten what they they've gotten what they've needed out of this because they are going to go find a therapist. But in my experience, a lot of people stay with the coach too because therapy is so different than coaching. And so I think that that's just it. It's like not that that not grasping onto things too tightly, not wanting to be able to predict the outcome. You don't know what the outcome is going to be of any difficult conversation in your coaching career. And those difficult conversations are actually the point. So, so good. Becca, thank you for bringing your perspective forward, your experience forward, and, and just having us all, maybe maybe some of you are uncomfortable listening to this conversation, and then maybe you just kind of need to sit in what you've heard and see how does it land on me and how do I want to be in those situations that are going to come forward for me. Exactly. Yes. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'm so grateful to Becca for coming forward and having this important conversation with me. I hope it was beneficial to you as you think about how to engage with your clients around potentially difficult conversations. If you'd like to know more about Becca or grab a link for the Clarity Journal, go to that's starcoachshow.com slash 250 and get all the information you need in the show notes. Next week, I'm going to share some perspective on a solo basis with you around the stressful times that we've all been through, uh, that we continue to be faced with, and, and ways to engage with our clients around the concept of stress and stress reduction. Uh, just giving some tips and tricks and strategies on ways to potentially uh help our clients reduce some of the stress that they are probably experiencing. Stress is is a common thing, and yet with the challenges that we're facing right now, it just seems to be on the rise. So I invite you back for that. I also invite you to join me for Facebook Lives every Wednesday and Friday morning at 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Star Coach Show Facebook page. Just search Star Coach Show on Facebook and join us. If you're enjoying the show, I encourage you to leave a rate and review wherever you're listening so that more coaches can find the show. Or heck, if there's an episode that you know somebody would really benefit from, please just share that episode with them. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have an extraordinary week. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.